Let's go, Rider Nation. Welcome to the Piffles Podcast, your Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan podcast. Thanks again for joining us. You got me. I'm Alex. I'm Steve. And I was late. Yeah, way to go. I, I, I will take a me a couple on this one. Uh, stupid technology. Usually it's the IT guy that has problems with technology, but today was the guy pushing the buttons. When you said you were booting up your laptop, I told Alex, I bet you he'll be here by five after eight now. Sure enough, here we are. Well, ever since I got the new one, I was I've been fine, but yeah, for some reason they decided that it didn't want to show my handsome face, and we couldn't let that happen. So no, no, need to have that. Need to have that. Um makes the rest of us look better. Something like that. Um, as good as it could possibly be, anyway. Um, thanks for giving us a listen here on your favorite podcast platform, of course, watching on YouTube and Sastel Max TV on demand. Piffles Podcast, of course, brought to you by Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. You can give us a follow on X at Piffles Pod. I'm at Real Alex D. Find me at Safamod. And as always, I do not need nor want your pity follows at Greg on Sports. You know, I, I know somebody who might give you a pity follow. And funny enough, Greg, we're bringing him onto the show. And I'm excited to do this. Let's get right to it. Bring on our guest here for the opening kickoff. Joining us this week here on the Piffles Podcast, Rob Vanstone, senior journalist and writer historian. Rob, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. Thanks for uh, having me tonight. Or today, whatever term is operative. Now, most important question I'm going to get out of the way first, and then I'll let the other guys kind of take over here for a little bit. Um, how is Candy? <laughs> she is at home uh, waiting to mob me after I... Uh, leave work tonight and uh, uh i thought about doing it from home so that uh the world could get another glimpse of her but she tends to monopolize things and um i was actually trying to get some writing done at home before i came to work today and she laid down beside my computer and every time i tried to type she would start pawing at my hand and then she started licking at my hand licking my hand and then she just laid right in front of me and wouldn't allow me to even type so i was kind of worried about her sabotaging the podcast because she is uh, she correctly concludes that she's in charge. So she's so cute. Probably would have been the best part of the podcast anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't promise much. So uh, uh, I'll be, I can pull out some dog pictures of my phone and show them to you. If that perfect, that we saves love that. This. So I've only got 10,000 of them. That's not an exaggeration. You know, actually, um, I don't think I have any photos of like anything else other than my two dogs, and I'm running out of storage space. <laughs> and I know I should just transfer them all onto a hard drive. And I just, I can't take them off my phone. You just always need there. to have them right there. Yeah, exactly. You never know when I need that picture from like five years ago. I refuse to delete a photo of the dog. Like even yep. if my thumb's in it, I won't delete a dog photo. <laughs> so um, that's, uh, that's my exciting life. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm the cat guy on the podcast. I don't take a single picture of my cat because cats are dumb. 
Sure words have never been spoken on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now that we've uh, probably kicked off quite a few people, let's uh, move on here. Yeah. Uh, Rob, recently celebrated your one year with the Rough, Rough Riders. How How is the first year being the my voice of the Riders, the official historian of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? Aside from the... I don't even know how much weight I've gained since I got here. But aside from that, uh, it's been wonderful. Um, uh, I've... Uh, I still can't really digest it. Uh, it's the first anniversary was on February 21st and it just still seems so beyond comprehension to me. I mean, I just, I just look around here and, and it's, it's like going to Disneyland every day. I, I'm not exaggerating and it might sound kind of goofy, but that's, that's kind of how I look at this. There, there hasn't been a date since I started here when I haven't walked around and kind of thought, you know, when's security going to escort me out of the building? <laughs> Because it just, it, I almost seem like an, I feel like an intruder sometimes. It, it is that cool. And uh, I've, I've loved every day of it. And I'm not just saying that because it's uh, the correct thing to say. It's the absolute truth. What was it like moving from uh, the leader post where you spent more than 30 years over to, to the riders? And what's the, what's the difference like in your career and, and how you attack a day? You know, it, Fundamentally, it doesn't feel different when I'm writing. Uh, when I'm doing that, you know, you're interviewing, you're typing, you're uh, researching. That doesn't feel different. That's that's the one thing I thought I could bring over here where I wouldn't notice a difference. It's a different type of writing. Whereas at the LP, obviously there was a, there was a greater array of topics um, or you know a larger array of topics topics I should say um, and it was a lot more opinion based this is more of a storytelling type thing and the the um, the the historian label when that was attached that just I just fell in love with that as well so you can see the the dusty files behind me so uh, uh, you know they, I didn't have even though I did lots of history related pieces at the LP it that wasn't part of the job description. It is here. And it's really been neat to kind of uh, catch up on the team's historical record and find out some really cool things that uh, that uh, I keep writing about and many more that I will write about. So it's just, uh, but the, the rudiments are the same. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I'm not, um, it's a different style. It's a different job, but I still have a, I still have a MacBook on my lap and that's what I love to do. Now, you obviously being the huge Ryder fan that you are, growing up being a big Ryder fan, covering the team that you love, how do you contrast now being a fan of the team but now working for them as well? You know, I it feels, you know, I've gotten, I got that question quite a bit, especially when I moved over. And it just, to me, it's, it feels authentic. I mean, it's, I'm being true to the, you know, the, I've said several times I'm being paid to be the 11-year-old version of me. Um, you know, it voice hasn't changed much, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, I've got tapes of myself from 1977. My voice is exactly the same hair's grayer. Um, but, uh, I mean, this, what I, what I grew up loving, it was, it was kind of an entry point into sports for me, this, and, you know, going to rider games with my mom and going to Pats games with my dad when he was the organist for the Pats from 1971 to 74. So that's, that's what got me into sports, you know, period. And so now, one of the first things I did when I got this job was I uh, pretty much bought out the rest of the 2022-23 Pat season, and then I got a Pat season ticket. And uh, now I just 
completely obsess about all things riders, just like I did when I should have been doing homework in 1981. So, but did 1981 Rob Vanstone expect to be the star of so many rider commercials? <laughs> I I think they just need an older demographic to check that box, so they they come come toward me. Uh, it uh, and they approach me about these things. That's been, that's been that's been a lot of fun. Um, what people don't see are the outtakes. I've had so many people, especially when we did that that potato chip one with uh, Brett Lothar, <laughs> and so many people commented on it and thought that I actually, in some cases, some people actually commented and thought I did a decent acting job. But it took me like 14 takes to do. Thank you. I think I needed a cue card for it. So uh, uh, if the outtakes are ever shown, my my uh, my cover will be will be <laughs> will be exposed see you say that but i i remember nothing about that commercial other than you reaching up to your shoulder and grabbing a chip and eating and that that kind of stuff sticks out well you so know you, 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 you gotta have a chip like on your shoulder not. sometimes sorry <laughs> there you go whether <laughs> sorry, you like it or saying? not you were the star you were, you were absolutely the star of that one and you got a lot of love for that and the watermelon yeah, uh, to, uh, Karina out. Karina Peterson did that was absolutely sensational in the watermelon um, commercial. We we shot that just over across the way here in in what is the boardroom that is named after Scott Schultz and and uh, uh, and Karina just absolutely nailed her line, basically stopping the word watermelon and just going watermelon. So if there's a, if there's a Canadian football league version of the Oscars, I nominate Karina. <laughs> okay, but so also your, your rolling suitcase was also a star in the schedule <laughs> release video. I yeah, don't think that, people realize that thing goes with you everywhere. That old thing. I bought that when I was writing the book on the 66 rough riders. And this was, so this was, um, this was 2000, uh, we went to Mexico, and while while I bought this, while while this thing was my new uh, black computer bag, Ken Austin resigned as a as a head coach of the Rough Riders. So this was uh, 07 turning 08, and uh, this was I had all these files, and I didn't really have them on my desktop. I had them all in file folders. So my wife filled all her carry on with with every form of research I had for this book, and then I bought this. Uh, this uh, old computer bag just so I could fill it with file folders and went to Tulum, Mexico. And I've been using it ever since. So everything about a historian is old, including the computer bag. 17, 16 years together now. My computer bag is now old enough to drive. <laughs> it's got wheels, so I guess it doesn't, you know. Um, Sorry. Over the last year, working with the riders, what have you learned about yourself? Um, you know, it's, it, it, I've learned that I, I, you can always be kind of a kid again, which, uh, I mean, I always had that feeling at the, at the leader post. I mean, that was, that was a dream job and I cherished the 36 years I spent there, but, um, you know, you think that when you're in your late fifties, that there you really can't renew yourself. Um, maybe you can. And, uh, it was interesting to, as I approached 60 to get a new job and feel like a rookie that, uh, that just kind of changed my whole outlook on things. I mean, um, it's just not a position. Somebody my age, uh, is, is, is generally in I mean, so many people 
you know, younger than me have retired. So many people think I have retired, but uh, I also it also I also learned that I still have the same energy, believe it or not, that I did when I started at the Leader Post on May 12th, 86. And and, uh, you know, I still like to put in the endless days and the the overnights. And I learned that I can still do it, um, you know, the, at the Leader Post with the deadlines changing and everything, it had become kind of a nine to five existence. And when I started at the, the leader post, it was a nine to five existence. It was closer to a nine to five existence. If you put a PM after the nine and we worked all night and I love that. And uh, it, it's, it's kind of neat to know that I, I can still do that and I'm still allowed to do it. I still have the energy to do it. I still have the initiative to do it. Uh, sometimes you just, you wonder as you get older, if, if you still have it and, I'll leave that to the public to decide ultimately uh, if they're not reading, I'm not working, but, um, or writing, but uh, it's kind of a, maybe a bit of a corny answer, but I just, it just kind of, I learned that I still have the, that desire to learn new things and, and, and try something. I didn't think, I didn't think I could ever do it. I never thought I would change jobs. I never thought I could change jobs. So that was a monumental step for me just to be able to prove to myself that I could do that and take that initiative and, and dive into something new uh, and, uh, and, and, and leave something I absolutely loved. Uh, I never thought I could do that. I guess I did. And, uh, and I'm, you know, leader post is in uh, terrific hands uh, now and it, I'm, you know, they've got a fresh voice and a fresh face and, and uh, Taylor Shire is terrific. And I'm glad the, the leader post has, uh, has Taylor there. I think, uh, you know, it was a great, great move for Taylor and a great move for me. Well, if That's you're, you're going to be, if you're going to be writing as long as people are reading, I, I think you've got a long uh, career with the riders ahead of you. Cause everything you put out is fun. The, the one thing I like is you're really known for having, I, I want to call them quirky facts, but random facts that most people wouldn't even think to look into. And you just seem to have them at the tip of your tongue. So I'm going to put you a bit on the spot here. Uh-oh. See if you can see if you can throw us just a random fact about the team coming up this year, about somebody that we may not know, or their connection to the riders. For instance, you had the uh the DB who had the same name as a guy who played here before, and that led to a long article about uh about guys like that. But is there anything new coming up that uh you know, quirky fun fact we don't know? Well, I, I think uh, um just trying to think there's, there's so many things that kind of forms a bottleneck when you're trying to uh, cite just one. Um, you know, we just re-signed, uh, you know, the, the Herdman Reed brothers. And I didn't know until recently that their father was James Reed. He used to play for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and actually played three games for the Rough Riders in 1985. I didn't know that. And so oh. the, the Herdman Reed twins are back. And I also learned that they're the second set of twins in rider history. I'd always wondered how many, how long that lineage went as far as twins. And the first were the Boyko brothers, Bruce and Alan Boyko, born March 2nd, 67. So the uh, they got a birthday coming up and uh, they were the first set of twins. So, um, but I didn't know that the Herdman, that Reed and Herdman Reed was uh, James Reed. I thought that was really cool. I just stumbled into that not so long ago. Okay, uh, we are, Steve and I were actually talking about this before we started the show here, uh, talked about Herdman Reed brothers. I know they're not twins, but rock and roll Preston. Do you have uh, any any great facts about rock and roll Preston? Um, you know, I was so pumped when they signed Rock Preston because I remember the first 
like I think the first day I had NFL Sunday ticket or one of the first days in 98, we got the joyous day. When we finally, we first got NFL Sunday ticket and uh, Roll Preston took a kickoff return all the way for the Green Bay Packers. And then three years later, he's a, ri a rider. And I'm thinking, my goodness, is this going to be something? And then he, uh, I think he in Winnipeg one night, he caught a 78 yard touchdown pass. And uh, I thought this is going to be terrific. And, and the rock and roll experiment lasted one year. It was, it's funny how much of a deal was, was made of that and how, what kind of potential that, that rock and roll nickname uh, uh, and that moniker had. And, uh, but it just really never got off the ground. Sort of like that, uh, that, that 2001 team, they had the, the nice start at two and one and then just could never put it together. And, uh, but you know, it's, it's funny because I was doing a piece on brothers and for family day, I did a piece on, um, on Rough Riders families ties through the years. And I don't know why, like I was coming up with all these obscure families from like 1913. And then just as I was about to file it, I thought the Prestons, I forgot the Prestons. <laughs> I was going through the list and I saw Ken Preston and Rich Preston was the water boy. And then I thought, how could I forget the Prestons? So uh, they were the last addition to that column. And uh not really that proud of that. That should have been an automatic, <laughs> especially in, since in it's, it's near, the, near the front of the lineup today. In fairness, Rob, you've probably forgotten more about the riders than any of us will know in our entire lifetime. It's, well, it's amazing well, the things you can come up with just on the spot like that. That's fantastic. Well, it's, I mean, I laugh about it and, you know, people talk to me about that and I said, yeah, but if you ask me where I put my keys, I don't know. <laughs> if you ask me to do anything that is evidence of practical life skills, Nope. Um, I once asked my wife uh, where the mail was, and she said, "It's uh, it's on the it's in the pantry." And I said, "What's a pantry?" I didn't know what a pantry was, and I was in my forties. So yeah, it's uh, <laughs> so, it's so like yeah, it's like a disk drive with too much information, and it's like, no, nah, I can't take any more on. We're yeah, fine. no, it's just it's just absolutely bursting. There's there's nothing that I that I do that. Uh, that really has any semblance of a purpose except doing this. I just, <laughs> I absolutely love doing this that I'm so useless as virtually everything else. Like I can t effectively take the dog for a walk and, uh, and find my way back to the house because she's got a good scent and she knows where we're going. So. Um, obviously you've been covering the riders for a while and you've done some great interviews and there's been, I know you've been very glowing about players like Trevor Harris and Jake Winicky. But we're here for the hot goss. What, who's the most contentious interview you've ever had with the riders? I have ever, an idea who it is. Um, you mean like ever, ever, ever? Not since I got here, obviously. Yeah, yeah, ever, ever, ever. Yeah, your entire history. You know what? I don't even. This is. I don't know who it was to this day. But this was. It was the '99 season, and the team was off to a bad start. And I wrote that, and. I was interviewing Kennedy Nikiason for a rider program feature. And I had my back to all the players in the, in the locker room. And the whole time I'm doing this interview, they're catcalling me and heckling me and, and telling, you know, Kennedy to watch out for the story being twisted or whatever. And, and I, there's just howling in the background. And uh, I just tried to ignore it and did the interview. And since, well, quarter century now, I've been wondering, who were those guys? <laughs> I don't know whether what what position group they were. I don't 
I never did actually see them doing it, but it was the most contentious situation I was ever in because uh, it was just very distracting. I was just trying to do my job and, and do a feature on a, you know, player who came through the Regina football system and the, the Tom Trojans. And, uh, and yet there was all that noise in the background. And I've always kind of wondered, well, yeah, okay. Um, who was that? I just finished the interview and, and left. And there was really wasn't much purpose in sticking around. So that was the most difficult situation I've been in just because it was, it wasn't easy to do the interview because there was so much, such, so much uh, noise in the background. But, you know, I found even, even um, if there were things that people wrote that they disagreed with, or I think you could always resolve it by being there. That was always the key. If you wrote something negative about somebody or something they didn't like, you better be at practice the next day. You better be in the locker room the next day. You better, better be there to take it. And what I do sometimes is is request them. And uh, I remember one time I, when Marcel Belfay was the offensive coordinator, I'd written something that was rather critical, if I recall correctly. And then the next day I I just requested Marcel. And okay, here I am. You know, if you if there's anything you want to say, here's an opportunity. And that it addresses it and also prevents it from festering. And I didn't really have many many disputes over those years when you, which is something when you consider all the years I, I did it in that environment. Oh, so you don't have a good story like Jamie Nye and uh, diamond fairy eating a sandwich. <laughs> that, one of my favorite that, ones. Was, that was a classic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I mean, uh, um, I always found that you could generally resolve it. Like, you know, Kent and Keith and I had some, some disagreements over the years and, uh, and uh, I always thought he was a fabulous talent. And I've never seen a more exciting running back with the Rough Riders. And, uh, you know, things can tend to settle over time. I, I, uh, I DM'd Kenton a couple of times for some stories I was working on. I did one with the LP during the pandemic when there's nothing current to write about. I did something on who's the fastest Rough Rider of all time. And so I, I wondered, like, I wonder what Kenton Keith did the 40 in. And as it turns out, so I... I DM'd him and it was like something like 4.28 or whatever. Like it was ridiculous. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad that time has kind of dealt with those situations and uh, you know, that it can be amicable. Now people can get caught up in the heat of the moment and it's, it's an emotional game. And, you know, I, I, uh, I remember how I used to be when I played touch football, I wouldn't have liked somebody sitting there criticizing me after my two yard out pattern on third and 18 either. So. Oh, so you oh, were watching Mar Marcel Belfay. I'm sorry? <laughs> so you were watching Marcel Belfay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, his, uh, uh, his first game as the offensive coordinator, the team got something like 38 first downs. It was, it was, the, it was, uh, it was just unbelievable. No, his first, his first game of his last year as the offensive coordinator, when there was so much discussion about the offense, it was that opener, opener against Winnipeg when Corey Holmes took the, took the mm -hmm. opening kickoff back. And uh, yeah. like the first downs total was just <clears> – <throat> ridiculous um i'm gonna try and find it because now i'm curious um <laughs> winnipeg 42 15 victory stats sorry oh no i lied 30 first downs winnipeg had nine writers had 30 first downs oh no it was, it was a yardage total um no it wasn't that either 434 yards of total offense well there was something about that that resonated with me it must, it must have been the 30 first downs because it seemed to be such a contrast to what some people's memories are of that season. And uh, I think Marcel did actually did a pretty good job when you consider, uh, you know, what, what he had to work with at the time. Mm -hmm. 
So you talk about getting to know the players a little bit. You do that um, probably more personal now working for the team. Um, how tough is it? You wrote about Cooper Richardson, who was uh, an offensive tackle last year um, and, and at the end of 2022. Um, how tough is it to, I mean, you learn about a guy, uh, the person, not just the football player. You learn about the person. Everybody likes him like you wrote. And then just like that, he's yeah, gone. He's cut. That was uh, really tough. And it it doesn't get easier. You know, there's been a few situations like that. It's just, you know, that's the nature of the business and they sign up for it. And uh, sometimes it probably doesn't even even surprise them. You know, they've players have been in a lot of places sometimes before they come to the Canadian Football League. Um, but the Cooper Richardson thing, we, we had talked like a day or two before because he was from Folsom, California. And I want I wanted to do a feature on, you know, him and the connection to Johnny Cash and Folsom Prison. Folsom Prison Blues, I think the, the song was. And he told me, like, they were tour groups and everything back home. So we were going to sit down and, and do a uh, do a story on that. And it would, it would be, it would have been such a cool one to do. You know, the only, the solace in situations like this, I think the guys you get to know very well are generally the people, I think you just, everybody kind of gravitates toward the people who, you know, who are, welcoming and, and nice. And I think that's going to serve Cooper and serve everybody well, you know, for the rest of their life, which is, you know, not even nearly half over when they're finished playing football. So, uh, you know, I don't, I, you feel badly at the time you think, okay, I won't be able to actually you know, speak with that person again in all likelihood, but you know, they're going on to be a huge success in life because, you know, the, somebody like Jake Winicky, Yeah. I mean, football was a great, vehicle for him but you know jake winicky is just an extraordinary person Derek moncrief etc you know I, I got i really liked Darrell walker you know we uh we uh spent a few hours hung, hanging out at training camp one day i just really liked him and so th those are tough but uh you know with, with each one that with each change you get to meet somebody new and uh that's also that's also interesting because that's a new story to tell and everybody's been so, so nice since I got here. It's, it's uh, that makes it uh, easier to take as well. Going from the leader post to being inside the fold, I, they're two different jobs. Do you ever miss being the journalist as opposed to the historian? No, not really. Um, I mean, I, the only, the only, <laughs> The only thing thing I really missed every every Santa every Christmas I used to do this this mock interview with Santa Claus, and uh, it was extremely goofy and uh, and uh, there were a lot of targets and uh, and uh, you know not most a lot of the time it wasn't really really that rough rider oriented you know, politicians and just celebrities like it was just this opportunity every year to just write about anything I wanted and. Uh, not necessarily within the sports realm. And so Christmas started approaching last year and I kind of got the itch to go shopping. I used to go walking around department stores and malls looking for little items that are on sale that would tweak me. And it's like, oh yeah, this would be good for Donald Trump, right? And uh, and uh, so I got kind of got the itch to go on that shopping spree and then it's like, well, well, there's no Santa Claus column anymore. <laughs> so that was the only real pang that I had. I think... I'd reconciled myself when I left that, okay, you know, that is part of something you did. And, and, and I did my best at it and I hope people enjoyed it, but it was 38 years of it. And, and uh, 
I was starting to use some lines two or three times over. And, uh, and so it was, you know, I just felt like it was, it was time and I was comfortable with that. And I really didn't have any, any regrets. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's because the, I mean, this is the only job I ever would have left that for. I mean, and who would have imagined even a week before I took this job, I never imagined that it would ever exist. So uh, it, it took a real special circumstance for that to happen. You know, I miss, I miss the people, uh, but Murray Mandrick and I still take our dogs for walks every weekend. So, you know, you still, you still keep in touch with, with a lot of the people and, uh, and uh, you know, I miss the, I miss the newsroom vibe that existed long ago, but we were working remotely anyway. And I, I suppose that made it a little easier to take because I didn't have to physically say goodbye to a lot of people. I just kind of cleaned out a desk in an empty newsroom and, put a bunch of stuff in a box and left. And uh, uh, it would have been tougher had I been severing some of the ties that existed, you know, or ending some of the circumstances that existed five or 10 years ago when we were still in that newsroom that I absolutely love. But there were just so many signs telling me that that this was the right thing to do. And uh, I haven't had an ounce of regret since, except for Santa, and I got to lose some weight again. Now, You've spent a long time in journalism, whether it's with the Leader Post or with uh, with the writers now. If you could give uh, an up-and-coming journalist one piece of advice, if this is something they wanted to do with their life, what would it be? Uh, if it's what you want to do with your life, ignore everything that people might say about why you shouldn't do this. Um you know, we've all seen and heard about the, the media cutbacks and you hear the, about the disparagement of the media and, and all of that. And it's not, it's, I mean, there's always been some form of adversity to face, but it just seems now across the breadth of the media, it's a difficult time. But if it's something you want to do, um, just immerse yourself in it and pour everything you can into doing it. That's that's what I did back in 86. I wanted that job at the Leader Post more than anything. And everything I ever, every keystroke was devoted to trying to make that a reality. And people said, well, you're kind of limiting your odds. It's not, you, not only do you want to do this for a living, but you want to do it at this paper and then in a corner of the paper. And it's like, okay, yeah, uh, there's not many of those jobs, but nobody wants it more than me. And you can always outwork somebody. I've never pretended to be the most, talented writer or the most you know gifted or enterprising reporter but uh i've always loved it and i've always cared and i've always worked hard and if you i think if you have those those attributes uh in a way although the traditional media is is facing its issues everybody has a voice now and you've there's never been a wider forum for people's work to be seen or heard or read and so, you know, if you can use technology as it, as it exists to your advantage, you know, people will find it if it's good. And sometimes all it takes is a retweet or a re-X or uh, whatever it's called now. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I've seen what, what's happened in the journalism school. And I'm glad that it is back at the University of Regina. And I know they've had uh, issues with the number of people registering. And that was always alarming because I always, you know, you always hope that there was that next wave of of journalists coming up and uh you know i that renewed my hope that uh to see the program coming back with a bit of a different description and uh i i hope i hope they've got 120 applicants a year like they did when i applied because it's, it's a wonderfully fun thing to do 
Yeah, as a former wannabe journalism student slash journalism student, be more Rob, less Greg. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's just good advice in general. Like. Yeah, it is. Well, I was the fifth what, person on a waiting list of five in 1985. <laughs> they put they let 35 people in, 30 people, 25 people in at a waiting list of five, and I was number five on the waiting list. And five people dropped out between being accepted in the spring and the start of classes in September of 85. So I was, her name was Lisa. Lisa was the last person to drop out. And I got that call in like late summer of, of 85. That's how, that's how fluky it was. Well, thank you, Lisa. Yeah. yeah. Forever in debt. I've never met her, but I'd, I'd love to say thank you if I ever got the opportunity. Well, it was a big surprise for you. Guess it. No, we didn't find yeah. it. No, no, no. <laughs> this is your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, Lisa just comes walking into the screen. Um, obviously, writing, you have a new book, Brave Face, about maskless goalies. Um, I heard you got a great shout out from Chico Resch, who is an absolute beauty, is great storyteller. Um, tell us about your book. Yeah, thank you. It's, uh, it's, um, it, it was it was kind of a product of the pandemic. Um, I, I mentioned earlier when I did the story on the uh, fastest Rough Riders of all time, the Kent and Keith uh, tribute. And uh, I mean, my goodness, was he an exciting runner. And uh, the more things I dig up going through the, the years he played, it's just like I'm doing a list of all-time rider touchdowns of 50 yards or more. And it's just like Kent and Keith, Kent and Keith, Kent and Keith. Like it's, it's stunning what he did. Anyway. Um, what was the question? How did I get on that tangent? Um, so I, I was, it was during the pandemic and I was coming up with, with little projects like that. Uh, and our editors at the leader post, uh, you know, uh, Heather Pearson at the time and, and Tim Switzer, they were encouraging us, you know, being in sports with no sports going on. If there's everything, anything you've ever wanted to do, anything you ever wanted to write, now's your opportunity. Do it. And uh, so I suggested maskless goalies for uh, just a weekend or takeout in the leader post. Cause I've always been fascinated by it. When I started watching hockey in the early seventies, I just, I was just taken by goalie masks. And then I couldn't believe that there were goalies who didn't wear them at the time. There were, there was two, there was Gump Worsley and Joe Daly. And even though the, the number of maskless goalies had been gen gradually reducing through the sixties and into the early seventies, suddenly it increased. It went from two to three when Andy Brown was called up from the Fort Worth wings by the Detroit Red Wings. I just couldn't, there's another maskless goalie. What are these people doing? Have they heard of Bobby Hull? And I just, I was just really fascinated by it at a very young age. So I started digging into the research for this very self-indulgent uh, weekender and this 2000 word feature that I was doing. And, and uh, within a week, I talked to Glenn Hall. I talked to uh, Jerry Cheevers, who was amazing. I talked to Bernie Perron. And I just, uh, I just thought this is, there's more to this than just a, the, a newspaper article can accommodate. So I contacted the amazing people at Triumph Books in Chicago, with whom I did the uh, 100 Things Rough Riders fans should know and do before they die when I, that was right before I last appeared with you. And uh, they said, yeah, absolutely. They've been great. So uh, it's, it's really kind of, <laughs> and then I ended up being a uh, employee of a football team. So <laughs> I think I've got to be the only employee of a football team ever to release a hockey book. Like <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, but it's, it's a really bit of cool thing to do. And it's, you know, it's triumph books website. It can be found there or, or on Amazon. I think there's some copies at Indigo. I'm working on a appearance in Saskatoon during training camp at McNally Robinson. That'll be fun. And uh, 
I'm at the Regina Beach Public Library on March 17th. So that's what's coming up. Um, now, there's a documentary coming out on Andrew Harris. I know people here in Saskatchewan, not going to love that whatsoever, um, called Running Back Relentless. It's going to get a VIP premiere in Winnipeg. And when I saw this, I was like, oh, this is a perfect question for Rob. Besides Joey Walters, okay, <laughs> you can't pick Joey Walters. Who would you like to see past or present? <laughs> I knew you'd have that photo up there. What rider past or present would you like to see a documentary about? Oh my goodness. Um, you know, there's Vernon Vaughn. I know this sounds obscure, but in the late fifties, early sixties, they had a receiver named Vernon Vaughn. And apparently it was just a, a tremendously nice person. And, uh, he ended up getting cancer and he died uh, and he was buried in his Rough Rider sweater. And uh, it, it's funny you mentioned Chico Resch earlier, but um, Chico used to go to rider practice and ask players for chin straps. And uh, like the kids did back then after practice and, uh, and after games, he'd run onto the field and ask for chin straps. And one of the players he became close to was Vernon Vaughn. He was a huge Vernon Vaughn fan. And, you know, I've got that in the back of my mind as a story I would really like to do. But I think it would be a really, you know, compelling story about this amazing athlete and this very popular person whose life was cut short uh, so prematurely. And uh, just uh, it was such a sad story. But anything I've ever read or heard about Vernon Vaughn, uh, just th things that Chico has told me or, you know, that, that people who saw him play have told me he was just one of the nicest guys ever somebody who came here for the united states wasn't here for that long but just loved it so much that he, he was uh, buried in his rough rider jersey i think there'd be a really compelling story to tell there regardless of whether it's with the written word or with the documentary well you got chico resh involved i'm there uh, <laughs> there's no better storyteller out there than chico resh oh chico is amazing he was kind enough to write the foreword for for brave face and he also proofread it for me and uh just uh still hard to believe i was going through my old my old autograph collection at home the other night and i'm flipping through all these old hockey cards that i used to send away to get signed in the 1980s and uh there i found like chico resh new jersey devils chico resh colorado rockies when they weren't a baseball team and all these chico resh autographs i wrote for when i was you know 16 years old and now he's doing a forward for my book funny life isn't it <laughs> Well, um, 35th year anniversary for the 1989 Grey Cup team. Somebody asked us to uh, ask you about this. Uh, coming up here this year, any plans in, uh, in the mind of Rob Vanstone for what he wants to do for potential stories for a 35th anniversary of 1989? Oh, there's so many. That 89 team is, it's hard to believe, you know, uh, pretty much everyone's in their late 50s, or early 60s now. Um, and I remember when... You know, you look to think back to 2006 when there was a 40-year reunion for the 66 team. You think, wow, 40 years. But that 89 team still seemed pretty fresh in our minds back then. And now it's starting to push that milestone that we all celebrated in 2006 with the 40-year team. And it's it's really, it's hard to wrap my round, my my mind around that. I really haven't thought about it that much because it just still, it still seems like it's about three days ago to me. Um it just, it's, it's the most incredible championship game 
ever played in any sport. And, uh, and just the story of that entire team is, is amazing. So, um, you know, I, I definitely will, will do something, uh, but I haven't really thought too much about, about what, um, I'd, I'd be interested in, you know, a lot of those guys are around my age now. And a lot of them, I found it was interesting because when I did the 66 book, uh, a lot of the players were retired and had a lot of time to be, you know, sit around and do interviews. But when I did the 89 book, uh, in 2009, most of those guys were in their forties and they were busy working. They were busy raising families. They didn't have two hours to sit on the phone and talk to me about something that happened 40 years ago. So I, what I'm, what excites me as I think about it and think out loud is that I think there, a lot of these players will have more time, uh, to reminisce than they did when, when they were busy, like Ken Moore, you know, starting left tackle on the 89 Rough Riders became a doctor, became so successful. And I was really grateful for any time that Ken Moore was able to spend with me, uh, you know, 15 years ago or, you know, yeah, about 15 years ago now when I was working on that book. And, and uh, you know, I'm hoping I'd like to tell, be able to tell some fresh stories, even though time has passed, because I think now there's might be a little more time to, to speak to some of, uh, some of those players because they were busy with lives and I was, you know, I, uh, it, it just wasn't really that practical for them to give me the amount of time that uh, the 66 players gave me. And so maybe that time is arriving now and maybe there's a, a different uh, light that I can shed on that team, even though I wrote an entire book about it. <laughs> if there's something good, really, really good, I probably should have had it in the book. <laughs> All I know is if and when we honor that 89 team, I hope the team shows up to play because I still have PTSD from that uh, 66 honor game against the Stamps. That was not good. Yeah, that was bad. That loss was no, that was a that was a tough day. But, you know, what, you know, what sticks with me is is just the opportunity to to spend that weekend, you know, with with uh, some of those guys and. Um, you know, Ron Lancaster ended up being hired, rehired as the Hamilton Tiger Cats head coach while that yeah. reunion was on. He had to leave over, over the course of that weekend to go back to Hamilton. But before he did, he, he delivered was probably one of my I'm not sure I've ever heard a better quote. And he uttered that in a scrum on the Thursday or the Friday before that uh, that game against Calgary. And he said, you know, they say there there's all sorts of seasons in Saskatchewan. The wind blows in the in the winter, in the spring, in the summer, and Lancaster blows playoff games in the fall. That's <laughs> 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 such a great line. <laughs> Love Ronnie. Well, whatever you have coming out uh, for that and everything else you have, uh, I look forward to reading. Rob, um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I know we want we want to get you back home. You got a you know, family you want to go see. So um, thanks for taking time out of your day to join us here on the Piffles Podcast. We always appreciate it. Well, thank you for uh, making the time and for listening to my uh, uh, rambling answers. And uh, it's it's been great to chat with you. And any uh, any time you'd like to follow up, just uh, just let me know. It's always a pleasure to do this. And and uh, I hope uh, you get lots of pity follows out of this, Greg. <laughs> hey, More than next you could ever desire. Ne next time we're talking Stampede Wrestling. We just <laughs> do not have the time for it right now. Well, you know, Dan Crawford will always be one of my sporting heroes. And. Uh, uh, you're, you guys are too, too young to remember Dan Crawford from Stampede Wrestling, but my goodness, I just, you know, there was growing up, there was Ronnie and there was George, there was Ed Stanowski, there was 
Dennis Sobchuk and uh, Dan Crawford was in that, you know, <laughs> a candidate for that Mount Rushmore of heroes growing up. What a tremendous wrestler and a tremendous guy he was. I bet you didn't expect me to mention him. So <laughs> I did. I, I knew exactly what I brought up Stampede. We're talking Dan Crawford. Dan Crawford for sure. There's not a, nearly enough on YouTube with that. There's only one Dan Crawford match on YouTube and he loses to Archie the Stomper goalie. I've been looking for like ever since I discovered YouTube for a match that like you can find a match where that Iron Mike Sharp wins on YouTube, but you can't find a Dan Crawford victory match. <laughs> and it really bothers me. So I think, you know what I'm going to be doing for the rest of this day. <laughs> uh, thanks so much, Rob. Take care. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Thanks, Rob. Rider, senior historian or senior journalist and writer historian Rob Van Stone here. That's the opening kickoff presented by Kathy Festion of Royal LePage Regina Realty. Let's jump here to our Churchill Brewing Company odds and end zones. A um, little bit of uh, uh, rider stuff to talk about. A couple signings that uh, just happened on uh, on Tuesday here. Uh, two signings. One is a receiver, Daz Newsom. I remember this guy actually from the Chicago Bears. I have no probably because I'm a degenerate fantasy football player that that's what I remember his name from. Oh, he had like 76 yards in, in a couple games. Okay. Maybe you keep an eye on him for waiver wire. Anyway, I've heard of that guy. Um, punt returner, um, is his main specialty short guy. I think he's like five foot nine. Um, so he'll be in the competition there to, to make the team and linebacker Diego Fago. Um, is joining the team from, I actually watched this guy play uh, for Navy in the States. And every once in a while, I'll put on like the Army and Navy game when it's the only football game on TV at the time. And for some reason, he just stood out to me. Like he was making plays left and right. And I don't know, maybe there's potential for him to play outside linebacker, um, even though we have that kind of penciled in for, for Eau Claire right now. Um, maybe back up middle linebacker behind Jameer Thurman. Um, but he also rushed the passer quite a bit. So maybe there's a chance he could, you know, he played the, the outside linebacker in, in the States that you come down to, or come up to the CFL, maybe you play rush end. Definitely some, uh, depth signings. Um, everything I've seen about these guys, I'm curious to see what they can do in camp. Nothing. It never hurts to bring some guys in and see what shakes out. So, um, I I do know uh, Fago's name. If I was a P, uh, play-by-play announcer or a PA announcer, that would scare me reading it without a phonetic spell uh, without a phonetic spelling on it. Because I was like, what? <laughs> I think it was uh, Matt Young of uh, CTV that put out the phonetic spelling. So. And I, I did what everybody does or what I think, assume everybody does, but probably doesn't. I went looking for uh, YouTube clips and highlight reels. Dude's a hard hitter. Yeah, I, I hope we do get to see him line up more on the line than, than at linebacker. I'd love to see him opposite uh, Malik Carney. I think them with uh, with Micah and uh, Lanier in the middle, they could, they could wreak some havoc. Open spot there uh, on the defensive line and... I think it, we've talked about it probably be a bit of a rotation, but there's definitely uh, I mean, if the team's going to carry seven or eight D line every single game on the roster, there's definitely, you know, a couple spots open. So yeah, who knows? Maybe he'll throw them in the, 
defensive end and like he'll make the team like that. Um, a connection to the riders, Craig Dickinson, former head coach, uh, going to Calgary as a consultant. And if he has anything to do with more than being a consultant, I think that's a great thing for eight other teams in the CFL. Great person. Their bowling scores are going to get so much better. I would, you know, honestly, I would be okay if he was like in charge of game management, uh, time and, and all that. He, he can do that during the game. I, I hope the Stampeders do that. Give him a motivational role on game day. Motivational spot, speaker for sure. <laughs> the spotter for challenges. But then again, Dave's actually not that good at challenges either. So no. There's a, there's I, a I'm genetic. Curious, I'm curious with that, with him being hired as a consultant, does he count against the, the coach's salary cap? Or is that a way to get around that? It's a slight way to get around it. I was reading about this and it doesn't count because you can only have 11 coaches on staff. Consultants don't count, but their salary counts towards the cap. So, uh, but um, for Craig though, this is essentially, it's kind of like a part-time role and especially in the off season. And that was one of the things here um, that was when he took the job as, as head coach, um, even as special teams coordinator, they wanted him up here the whole year. He's in Montana all the time uh, going uh, snowboarding and, He's out there all the time. So this actually allows him to do that and not be the full-time coach in the CFL. Uh, so it kind of gives him that balance to do both. So that's, uh, I mean, good for him. Um, we all kind of figured that at some point, Mama Dickinson would say to uh, to Dave, hey, you better hire Craig. Um, so <laughs> Why can't you get your brother a job? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that happened. But it's, I mean, he's, he's a good coach. Um, just don't let them don't let them coach the whole team a certain group and a consultant is honestly that's a really good role for him so good to see him back because he's such he's such a good guy that the league needs guys like that in in the league so great guy not a good coach um okay girl math you guys on the tiktoks oh i don't do tiktok okay but i I know of it. My wife shows me, sends me TikToks all the time. Do and, you do Snap Face? Uh, no, I don't have that. Um, I barely have Instagram anymore. Um, I sent my first reel, I think, um, not too long ago. Um, but girl math is is a trend on TikTok. And the writers did a marketing email um, using girl math. So what girl math is is basically a way to justify yourself and your frivolous spending. Oh, I bought a $1,000 pair of earrings, but they were on sale for $900, so I made $100. And, oh, it's there's two earrings, so it's buy one, get one free, so I really only paid $450 per earring. So it's, it's just a way to justify you spending money on something you don't need. So the writer sent out an email, and I have it here. Um, Proficient in girl math. It's basically free. Big savings. And, and they want you to buy season tickets in pill country is what this is for. With the uh, price of $306. So smart with the 306 in there. Um, big savings. No influencer code needed. Literally the best excuse for cute matching outfits. Take the stairs, earn the seltzers. So. 
again, I'm not a big TikTok person. I'm not a big into the trend of, of girl math, but I know what it is. And I like the idea that the riders tried to be trendy with this. They're trying to hit on, um, capitalize on a new market, um, trying to get a, a different demographic of fan into the game, which is exactly what they need to do. I think this just fell flat. And to me, it's not so much about using the girl math and okay, you can talk about the cute matching outfits. We're all wearing green jerseys. That's kind of what they're they're aiming at there. So that's that's what the whole thing there is. My issue is with the take the stairs, earn the seltzers thing. Like there's enough diet shaming out there in the world right now that they missed the mark on this one. And I think that just made the whole thing fall flat. And I don't like this because of that. Good idea, bad execution. Exactly. Not to the extreme that the Experience Regina launch was. Good idea, bad execution. But somewhere between no marketing and Experience Regina, we're in the middle somewhere. (laughs) Um, I like that that's the scale. Yeah, well, that come on. Regina made national news, like international news. International, for yeah. Regina. So this isn't going to hit that. But judging by, and I was actually busy at work today. So when I finally kind of caught up on what was going on, I was like, what is this girl math thing? And why is everyone freaking out about it? What What shocked me the most when I saw the, the ad and I saw some of the tweets about it already I assume this was this was some guy in the office trying to jump on a trend and really hitting the mark from a female perspective. But if you look at the administ or the marketing team for the riders, most of them are women. Mm-hmm. That I, honestly, that surprised me. This was this had tone deaf guy written all over it. I like the idea. I like them trying to jump on a trend, but they really I don't know how this got past. It had to have gotten past multiple layers. I don't know how it got past the first one without it going back to to the the table going, hey, maybe let's take the earn the seltzer joke out. It it just it didn't hit. And I don't even know if it was trying to get a new market because this only went out to season ticket holders. And that's that's the other thing too. Like they already have my money. I'm not buying more tickets. Am I supposed to forward this off to everybody I know? Like, I get it. That's who's in your database for email addresses um, and people who signed up for one game or whatever. Like, that, that's that's who you should be marketing to. Um, I was talking with uh, Melissa Fiacco, Pat Fiacco, former Mary Regina, uh, his daughter, and on, on X. And she said, you know what gets people up to games? Winning. And winning like, cures everything. Winning that's cures the best everything. marketing you can do. If you can start winning and make the playoffs consistently again, that's how you're going to get people back in the doors. Not cute matching outfits. That's all. That's a tagline. So, again, I, I like the idea of trying to be trendy, trying to go young. But this should be, if they're going to do something like this, that shouldn't just be an email that gets sent out to essentially season ticket holders that should be a commercial on tv that should be, that should a, be commercial a commercial on, radio. on their socials put it on your socials they can they can do something like that then it gets explained a little bit better it probably looks optic wise a little bit better 
the joke will hit smoother. Yeah, probably. Like it's, there, there's more potential if you put together the 30 second, one minute commercial, something like that. Have Rob Vanstone do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would make me laugh. That I wonder what his role in that commercial would be. He would be the one doing earning the seltzers. I could see that. It'd be hilarious. No, he'd probably be thinking, be like, girl, math doesn't exist. Trying to figure out, no, no, that's not how it works. No, 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 that doesn't make any sense. Maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. But but you know, we we've been really hard on the riders marketing team for the better part of our existence uh, as a as a show to be honest <laughs> and i want to give them credit for at least trying new things and we've said that a few times over the last couple of months where they're at least trying to change things they're trying to make things a little different they're trying to jump on trends i hope the fallback from this one and all of the negative responses doesn't prevent them from trying again because this is what they need to do. They just need to do it better. So kudos for trying. Yep. Just maybe where's not that, this. Where's that Simpsons gif of Bart with the cake says, at least you tried and throws it in the trash. Um, <laughs> yeah. Insert that. At, at le- yeah. Or yeah. At least we didn't go with the Homer Simpson. You tried and you failed miserably. The lesson here is never try. No. Just try. I'm, and, and it's good they're trying. It's just they need to hit better because it, it didn't land. Um, oh, one other uh, uh, rider note over the last uh, week here in the once a rider department, Hinoch Muambo retired. Although I guess we kind of all figured that out since he didn't play last year, but, and this is going to lead me into the next topic and that's going to finish off the show here is it felt like oh, it we're was going to high. Yeah, it was. Um, it felt like the announcement of his retirement was trying to sweep under the rug exactly what's going on over in Toronto right now. At least change the narrative, anyway. I don't yeah. know if they're, if they're ever going to sweep it under the rug, but they're definitely trying to change the news cycle. Yeah. So Hinoch Mwamba retires. They announced that obviously with the Argos. Good for him for you know his last game played. He was Grey Cup MVP. He was Canadian of the great cup and won the great cup. So to go out like that, excellent for him and great for the league. He was a wonderful player, uh, great human being, great ambassador. He'll be, he'll be in with the CFL somewhere um, doing the waggle. I'd assume still the CFL's podcast with, uh, with Donovan Bennett. Um, he'll still be, I'm assuming still probably be doing that. And he'll be, he'll be around, especially with their, you know, newfound player marketing manager. That's a guy you can, have along in there as well too um but that was the first announcement basically by the argos after the chad kelly news broke last week um the report by tsn's rick westhead uh chad kelly is in a lawsuit with uh, a former strength and conditioning coach from the argos whose contract was not renewed and she's basically suing Chad Kelly and the Argos for not a lot of money, honestly, um, but for wrongful termination or um, basically because Chad Kelly asked her to go out a few times, multiple times. She said no, and he kept on doing it and kept on doing it. And then there was some other stuff and she ended up taking this to the team. 
and it got to John Murphy, assistant uh -huh. GM in Toronto. And he said, basically, this is not the can of worms that needs to be opened right now, which is very on brand. Very on brand for John, for Murphy. John Murphy. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a bad situation for the Argos and the CFL. Um, obviously with Chad Kelly being the new face of the league, being the MLP from last year, 16 and two last year as well too. Obviously this is a guy you want to try and market, but now I'm not going to go ahead and, and say that everything is true. I don't know the investigation is going to happen. All that stuff's going to come out. Um, but it has to be taken very seriously and kind of until proven different, you have to believe the victim. Um, especially when I've seen a lot of comments, she's just looking for a payday. Well, when you see what she's actually suing for, no, she's not looking for a payday. It's very minimal money. That's trying to, trying to go after like a year's salary, basically. Um, my issue with the whole thing right now and how it was handled was that it wasn't handled by the team and by the CFL. They just needed to come out and say, we know that there's an investigation going on because it's a matter with the law. We have no further comment on it, but they have to just make that comment. And it has to come from the league itself and the team itself, not sent in an email to Farhan Lalji. To media members it has to come out directly from the league and directly from the team so what's what's your guys's quick take on this i mean the fact that john murphy's been back in the league for less than a half cup a of coffee and he's back in another situation is not a good look for him i'm not going to throw anybody under the bus because these are still this is alleged that nobody has been, there, there's no charges. This is a, a, a lawsuit, a financial lawsuit. It's a point. civil lawsuit, yeah. yeah. Right? So we're not talking about criminal charges. But the fact that he is allegedly saying something like that, who is coming to him about harassment, is just a terrible look for him, for the Argos. And if, if that's the case, I would be shocked if, his time in the CFL continues past the end of that situation. It's really a sad state of affairs when I'm reading that piece by Rick Westhead and I saw that John Murphy part and I'm like, yep, that, that actually, I now, everything's on point. That, that actually ties this whole thing with a bow. So the fact that John Murphy got his second chance and he couldn't get out of his own way shouldn't surprise me, but I don't care if you can find a guy mowing grass in Memphis, Tennessee, who's going to be a good football player. He doesn't deserve to be in the league. If this is the way he's going to keep on managing his people and, and being in a position of power and not, I guess I should be careful how I word that because if you haven't read the article, John Murphy basically just turned a blind eye to it. He did nothing to this, um, therapist or trainer, sorry. Um, other than just not doing his job as someone in charge of management. But it's, you got, you got to believe the victim 
And if the facts play out in Chad Kelly's well, the facts play out his way. But right now, the Argos trying to bury their head in the sand and not coming out just makes this look really, really bad. And this is a time coming off of a Great Cup win followed by a historic season. This is the time where the Argos need to be building in Toronto. They need to be jumping all over this team and pushing the Argo name as much out into the community as they can. And for this story to come out now, it it could not have come at a worse time for the team. And for them to stay silent is honestly the worst part. I agree with you. And yes, they did each respond to I think the I think they both both the team and the art or the league responded to separate media requests. But that's as far as it's gone. There's been no actual statement, no trying to get in front of it or at least acknowledging this lawsuit's existence. It just it's a terrible look for the league. And it's a terrible look for a team that really doesn't need the negativity right now. And I, I hope whatever happens, happens quickly and we can get to the bottom of what actually happened and can, you know, not get past it, but resolve it so they, so that they can continue building. Because the league needs a strong Toronto fan base, but they can't just ignore this to try and get there. And I'm going, I'm not going to defend the league but I put less onus on them than I do the Argos themselves. I'm trying to recall a time where the league made a comment about a player for nothing that something that wasn't on field. Like they, they had to comment on Garrett Marino, but I don't recall them saying anything about Justin Cox off the top of my head. And I, and I, I could be forgetting it. I could have memory hold that entire situation. Like, so I, as the team definitely should be doing something about it. And yes, I would love the league to say, we believe in safe workplaces and stuff like that, but I don't fault the league as much as the Argos just basically memory holing this and trying to go, nothing's wrong here. What are you talking about? Don't, don't look at the man behind the curtain. It's just, it blows my mind. With, with Justin Cox, didn't they, didn't the league immediately ban him from the league when his stuff came out? Well, uh, Justin Cox was a bad example. His, <laughs> his thing was a little, a little extreme. I was just trying to think of, I don't recall the league immediately putting out a press release about a player's situation of something that wasn't on the field. Usually it would go to the team first. They would say we're releasing this player or whatever is going on. Then the league would say, we're not going to register a contract if the team tries to sign him. But the the league is never the first one in front of something like this, unless it's an on-field thing. Usually the team is the one that makes the first step. The fact that the Argos are not even acknowledging it other than saying it's we're going to let it play out through not even a direct statement is just weird but they did sign Rashid Bailey so good for them I mean on the field that's a decent signing but uh, who's going to be throwing the ball we don't know will it be Chad Kelly will it be Cameron Dukes we don't this is why they can't trade Cameron Dukes we we hope it's Chad Kelly so that we can get Cameron Dukes next year that's what I hope anyway. Um, but Steve, I'm with you. I hope this gets resolved quick. Um, just so that whatever the outcome is, is and happens. And they can't go oh, into training camp with this. They, no, like the there's league no way. And the Argos cannot let this drag out. No. 
So for what, everybody's what sake. What honestly surprises me is that with all the money MLSE has, I, I'm shocked that they didn't just open up the checkbook and say, let's just let's just deal with this. Let's just pay the pay the lawsuit, shut this down, and let's move on. Because that's not the greatest option, but that is an option for them to try and kind of end this cycle, this news cycle, is just to write the check. I, I got I got to admit, though, the one thing I do find comforting is Rick Rest had a uh, employee at TSN, the broadcaster of the league, who the is a division of Bell that owns MLSE, that owns the Argos, that he still had the journalistic integrity and freedom to get this story out there to a, a bigger, a big audience. And when you look at what Rick Westhead has done in the past, he doesn't miss. No, he, 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 he usually has his it. facts locked down before he walks, he, before he runs with it. So, yeah. So a uh, very ser- serious situation for the Argos and the league. And just that's because it's so serious. That's why you have to get out and at least acknowledge it. And then say no comment following your statement and then let due process happen, right? So hopefully it gets resolved uh, as soon as possible. So everybody on both on both sides uh, can move past, maybe not move on, but move past and, and keep going from there. So we'll see what happens with that i guess but i think for us here on the piffles podcast that's going to do it for us this week um one thing i want to talk about next week guys uh, i want to get into this edmonton elks ownership bid presentation uh coming from former players and i have questions about it we're going to save that for for next week um i have several questions about it so Maybe we'll bring somebody on to help us, you know, there's, I mean, it's a group of former players that want to put in a formal bid for owning the Edmonton Elks. Garrick Jones, who played in the NFL as well, was uh, an Elk player, uh, offensive lineman. Damon Allen, Calvin McCarty, Tad Cornegay's in there, Adam Rita, Nick Lewis. Like these are some big time names that are part of this presentation that want to own a, own a sports team, a pro sports team. So I like the idea of former players kind of, and that's how they're selling it, kind of bridging that gap between owners and players. And I love the idea of that. How sustainable is it? I don't know. And I think that's where we're going to uh, discuss a little bit next week. So be interesting to see how that all kind of, kind of shapes out too. But that's going to do it for us this week here on the Piffles Podcast. Of course, uh, the show is brought to you by our great friends at Dairy Queen on Elphinstone Street and Sass Drive in Regina. Special thanks, of course, go out to Kathy Festion of Royal LePage Regina Realty and Churchill Brewing Company for their support, making the show possible. Thanks to our guest this week, Rob Banstone, for uh, taking time out of his night to uh, have some fun, share some stories, and uh, give us some uh, great quirks that only Rob Banstone can do. Uh, for, for the record, he has not unfollowed me and pity followed me yet. I'm still waiting yeah. for him to pull that trick. There's still time. Yeah. Uh, 
Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching on YouTube and SASTEL Max TV On Demand. This is Tyler Gilbert with Ghost Behind Your Mind.